John 14 and 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, somebody say the works. The works that I do, this is what Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also. Now that's good news. You're going to do the works that he does, but watch this. And greater works, now, now it gets really good, greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So not only you're going to do the works that he does, but you're going to do greater works also. Woof. I just got chills on my arms. I felt the hair stand up. That's exciting. For a few moments, I want to talk about those great works. But this is, this is also what I want to talk about, and this is my title today. The enemies of great works. The enemies of great works. God has called you to do something. You have purpose on your life. You have a reason for living. There is a great work that will be fulfilled in your life, not because you're good enough or I'm good enough, not because I'm worthy, but because he has made me worthy by the work of reconciliation. He has placed within me the power of his spirit, and I'm going to see great works done in my life. I speak that. If you believe that, would you just pray with me right now? God, I speak that word over every individual in this room, God. I pray that greater works would we do also. I speak in the name of Jesus that somebody that feels like their life does not serve a purpose or does not have a reason, that in the name of Jesus, you would reveal that to them. Or God, if it's a believer, God, that you would renew that sense of purpose within them and that every enemy of great works in our life, God, that we would see them, that they would be revealed to us, God, and that, Lord, they would be cast down so that we can fulfill the will of God for our lives. I declare that over every family, over every individual in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you put your hands together? I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Jesus really is in the room today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated today. Thank you for your worship. God has a great work for every person in this room. I just feel that to say before I even really launch into my notes and that is to remind somebody, or maybe not even remind. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. So let me break the news to you. Because I know that we live in a culture and in a world that is happy to despise and is happy to discourage and is happy to speak ill against one another. But I didn't come to speak ill against anybody today. In fact, I come to declare the word of God. And the word of God, which Jesus spoke over his followers, was simply this. That you're going to do the works that you've seen me do. But greater works are you also going to see and do in my name. And I declare in the name of Jesus over every person who is listening under the sound of my voice in this room or online, whether it be live or later, that you are meant for something great. That you have greatness on your life. It's not a greatness that is defined culturally. It's not a greatness that anybody can give to you. It's not a greatness that anybody can take away from you. It is a greatness that God himself has placed within you. Because the Bible says that before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He knew your name. He knows the amount of hairs upon your head. And there is a purpose on your Life. Can I just tell you the reason Stello Church exists is to help people discover that God-given purpose in their life. So in the name of Jesus, I speak great works over every individual in this room. I declare that your best days are ahead of you. 
Not your best days are behind you. I speak in the name of Jesus that greatness in the name of Jesus is upon each of us. You've got great works that God is going to fulfill in your life. And so maybe the first thing I ought to do then is define what I mean when I say great works. More importantly than what I mean when I say great works, what the Bible means whenever it uses this phrase, great works. Uh, Let me first say that God has called all of us to great works. If If you're following him, the Bible says it clearly. Ephesians 2 and 10 says it like this, that we are created in Christ unto good works. That creation, that new creation that we become, it produces something out of us that is a good Work. Matthew 5 and 16 says that the world, Jesus told them, they're going to see your good works. They're going to see the production of your life. And you know what they're going to do? They're not going to glorify you, but they're going to glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Can I just tell you, these great works, I want to make it very clear, are a product of being in Christ. Okay, these are a product of of your salvation. I'm not talking about a great work that earns you salvation. I'm talking about a salvation that leads to great works today. But the question is, what do they look like? How can I know whether or not I'm producing the good work that God has called me to? The important things that God has spoken over my life. That prophetic word that I believe is alive in every individual. How will I know? Well, one of the easiest ways to define a great work, is to measure it next to eternity. Will it last? Is it something that outlives you? When you breathe your final breath, is it something that you can take with you, or is it something that will be burnt up? Some examples of great works, hopefully you're already thinking of what those might be, but let me give you a few. A saved family is a great work. A saved family is a great work. You may not have a penny to your name, and I speak in Jesus' name that you will have a penny to your name at least. But even if you don't have a penny to your name, if your family is saved, you've done a great work, mom, dad. You've done something that will outlive you and outlast you. Can I just tell you another great work is a legacy of giving. When you are dead and gone and we have buried you, will we be able to look back and say, They were a giver. They were somebody who was willing to sacrifice their time, their talent, and their treasure. Because we understand that a life of sacrifice for the sake of others is a great work that will outlive us. Dedication to the word of God and the work of God is a great work. Can I just tell you, I know this is simple today, but I don't want to fail to give honor where honor is due. And there are some individuals that culture may not celebrate. The world may not celebrate. But some of us, we are the product of grandparents and great-grandparents who did a great work in their life. They may have lived and worked very hard in a factory setting or in some sort of job. But they sacrificed day in and day out so that their family could be preserved in the word of God and in the work of God. That may be you today. Maybe you're forging a path 
forward. And sometimes you don't feel like you're getting the recognition or the pat on the back. Or maybe it feels like, well, am I not meant for more? Let me just pause for a moment and give somebody some encouragement today. If you're raising your family in truth, maybe you're a first-generation believer. Can I just tell you, you are doing a great work. And that's why the Bible says that the first, they're going to be last. And the last... They're going to be first. And can I just tell somebody, when you step before that great throne of judgment and you hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right then and there, you may not have been told it up to that point. Let me just know, without the shadow of a doubt, you will know, I have done a great work. I've done something important. I've done something that outlives me and outlasts me. James would speak of these works. He would say, to us that you and I uh, to be hearers of the word and not doers of the word would hurt us. It's not good for us. We should always be doing something as a product of our salvation. One of the most impeccable examples of great works in scripture uh, was a man named Nehemiah. You can read about uh, this in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was called to do a a really an amazing, in fact, the Bible would literally call it a great work. We'll read that here in a moment. What, what was that great work? Well, many of you may know the story, but let me just give you a refresher. The Bible says that Israel was rebuilding a wall, which was a representation of the nation's restoration. You see, they had fallen out of the will of God, and they were vulnerable to their enemies. And the Bible says that it was brought to the attention of Nehemiah. And not only were they going to do a great work because the wall needed to be rebuilt, but they were going to do it in such a time-sensitive manner that it was going to astound the enemies of God's people. It was a great work. Nehemiah was called to this. But before he ever restored a physical wall, what we find is that Nehemiah first repented. The first thing that he led a nation to do the first great work was not a physical wall, but it was a spiritual thing. It was the spiritual act of repentance. Because repentance leads to restoration. Can I just stop for a moment? This is not going to be my whole sermon, but I just want to make sure that the gospel is infused into today's word. Okay? And the most important thing that I can say to you today is not how many great works you will do after you're saved. The most important thing that I can say to you right now is that you can be saved. Is that there is a God who is in this place. And maybe you walked in and you feel like my life is broken down. The walls of my life are in decay. I've not been the person that I feel like I should have been. I have fallen short over and over again. I'm not anything that you've described up to this point, Pastor. You've talked about a legacy. You've talked about a family. And I have missed it over and over again. Well, let me just give you some encouragement from this book of Nehemiah and tell you that God is calling calling you to the great work of repentance. And if you will only open up your mouth and say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to walk this path anymore. I don't want to go the way that I've been going anymore. There is a God with his great mercy and his great love that will fill your life today. And all of the ruins and all of the brokenness, guess what? He can restore it and he can rebuild it. And can I just tell you, he'll do it faster than you even think he can do it. He'll work 
He'll work in relationships. He'll work with people in your life. I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody. Let me just tell you what Stello Church believes. We believe that God can restore anybody by the power of his spirit. There's no drug addiction. There's no shame. There's no sin. There's no immorality that causes you to be too far from the hand of God. Nehemiah looked at the people. And he said, it's time to repent. It's time to gather together and to bring ourselves back to the word of God. And the scripture says that they begin to read and they begin to consume the word of God. And as the word of God and the promises of God begin to get into their lives, guess what? It led them to the work of God. Because when you get the word of God in you, the work of God now becomes natural. And so the scripture says that they begin to read and they begin to see the prophetic word of God all over them. And repentance ends up leading them to restoration. And can I just tell you today, don't let anything steal from you repentance. Don't let anything steal from you that desire to come back to God. Don't let anything steal from you your desire to be saved. You may have fallen over and over again, but the Bible says that a just man gets back up again and keeps moving forward. Can I just tell you the grace of God is in this place right now, and He wants to restore somebody. He wants to do the great work of salvation in your life. And anything else that I talk about today, it will be on the foundation of salvation. The greatest work is the work of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 talks about that work of reconciliation. And let me just remind you again, I want to make it as clear as I possibly can that anything we do is based on the foundation of the work that he has already done. And already accomplished. And the Bible says that he has called us into a place of reconciliation to restore our lives. And in the name of Jesus, I speak that spirit of restoration upon our church. Can I just pause for a moment and remind Stello, every member and guest alike, that the only way that we will be an effective church, the only way that we will be the church that God has called us to be, is that this place remains a house of restoration. A place where anybody can be saved. A place where anybody's life can be rebuilt. A place where anybody can be looked at square in the eyes and say, Hey, if you want to repent, if you want to change your life, we'll be here for you in that moment. You'll have people around you in an altar. I'll baptize you in the name of Jesus. We'll watch God fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost because there is no greater work than you being reconciled with Christ Jesus and saved from sin. Everything else, everything else is just based on that foundation. But God does have great things for his saved people. He does. He has amazing things for you today. Those of us that walk into this place and we've experienced that gift of salvation, can I just tell you, God doesn't save us and leave us in an altar and pat us on the head and say, well... There you go. That's your, that's your diploma. That's your graduation certificate. We, we don't get a graduation certificate. You know what we get? A birth certificate. It just starts. You get full of the Holy Ghost, and you know what you should ask yourself? Now what? God, you got to have a work for me to do. Yes, God, he allowed the people to repent, and then guess what? 
He put some tools in their hands, and he said, now get to work. We're about to rebuild the wall. We're about to drive out the enemy. There's about to be a nation that's not only spiritually restored, but there's about to be a physical restoration that takes place as well. And so Nehemiah's pumped up. He's full of the Holy Ghost. The people are excited. They're reading the word of God. They're doing the work of God. And like any great work, there's naysayers. Why can't everybody? Every party's got to have one. And you know exactly what it is. And I'm not going to say it. Somebody's got to rain on the parade. Somebody has got to speak against it. There's always an enemy to the great work that God wants to do in your life. There's always going to be voices that want to speak against it. And sometimes they share the same bloodline. Sometimes they're in the favorites of your contacts. Sometimes they're people you didn't even realize existed and they come out of the woodwork. Sometimes it's people that the enemy sends. Sometimes it's the, it's the elements that we live in. I want to talk about the enemies of those great works today because there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be somebody who speaks against you. And three men in particular were found constantly pestering and badgering Nehemiah. In fact, right in the middle of the great work. Have you ever had anybody that bothers you while you're working? You ever, you ever working and somebody asks you, what you up to? I mean, Nehemiah is in the middle. He's got a tool in one hand. He's just, I mean, he's rebuilding this wall. They're making great progress. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 6, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the door in the gates, that Sanballat... And Geshem. Now, if your name is Sanballat, would you please raise your hand here today? Name Anybody named Geshem in the house? Okay, good. Because I'm about to rip these guys to pieces. We might have a Tobias, and I'm so sorry. Your name means something beautiful, and we'll get to that here in a second. But Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobias are these naysayers and these enemies to the great work that God wants to do. And these two in particular come, and this is what they say to him, the Bible says. Hey, Nehemiah, come let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Oh No. Now, can I just tell you? There's your sign. <laughs> I ain't meeting anybody in the plain of Oh No. But they thought to do me harm. Nehemiah is not stupid. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I cannot stoop down to the level of the naysayers. I want to encourage someone today to respond to the enemies of the great work that God has in your life the same way that Nehemiah did by saying this, I cannot come down. I can't stop doing what God has called me to do. I've got to be who God has called me to be. And every naysayer is simply a distraction. And they want to drag me to the plane of oh no. So that they can speak ill against me or kill me or detract me. But in the name of Jesus, I've got a work that I've got to do. And I cannot come down. The next time somebody steps up into your, into your atmosphere and says, Hey, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do that. Or they speak against the, the will of God. Or they try to drag you back and 
into that same addiction. You ought to make up in your mind your response is going to be, I cannot come down to that level. I can't stoop down. I'm in the middle of a great work that God has called me to. It's interesting because the names of these men, we'll start with Sanballat, all have a very, uh, they have significance to them. Sanballat, uh, the meaning of the name is to be hidden in a bush. The spiritual meaning is an enemy in secret. You see, there's always going to be an enemy in secret that wants to deter you from what God has called you. You know what his name is? I'm going to be very simple. It's Satan. Now, I know, I know, we're going to get to the other stuff, but can I just pause for a moment and actually, I, I, this is what I actually believe. I actually believe that there's a real God and there's a real devil. I believe in a real heaven and a real hell. I, I believe that these are actual entities, beings, places, and that the word of God is not just metaphorical or allegorical. There is actually an enemy, the scripture says, who is going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Can I just remind somebody at Stello Church, a mom, a dad, a young adult, you are in a spiritual warfare and there is an enemy who is waiting in secret and the moment that he sees you stumble or he thinks that you're vulnerable he wants to destroy your life Jesus looked at Peter in that very vulnerable hour and he said Peter he said the enemy the devil desires to sift you as wheat he is waiting for the moment why because the prophetic word that Jesus had spoken over Peter was that he was going to build this kingdom upon the rock, Petra, Peter. He knew, the devil knew there was a great work that was upon this man's life. And Jesus warned him, there's an enemy in secret that wants to destroy you, that wants to rip that away from you. But watch this. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. There's no doubt that there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. There is a real devil who is going to and fro. He's seeking whom he may devour. But can I speak over somebody today? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And everything that the enemy has tried to form against you in the name of Jesus, it will not prosper. But can I just tell you and remind you, there's only one battle that you and I lose as people of God. You know what battle that is? The one we don't show up for. The one that we are absent for. The one that we fail to realize is even happening. And so you know how we fight this battle? You know it's not with flesh and blood. That's what the Bible says. But we fight this battle with spiritual weaponry. And I want to stop for a moment because this is so important. Stello Church, members, friends, brothers and sisters, you will never win this battle without the spiritual weaponry in place. That's why Paul wrote about the full armor of God, starting at the top of your feet or the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and saying you've got to be completely covered because there's a spiritual warfare that is taking place in your life. And can I just tell you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost, that you and I will not win the war if we are not in the Word of God. You and I will not win the war if we are not praying to God. You and I will not win the war if we're not picking up the spiritual weaponry that he has given us today. I know this is simple, but can I just tell you, you are not more courageous, more dynamic than your spiritual discipline. You're not more powerful 
You're not better. You're not more talented. You and I don't have more anointing that can outweigh or outlast our spiritual discipline. The way that you and I live and stay sustained is the bread of life. There is no replacement for a daily walk with God. There is no replacement for getting up and saying, God, I want you to cover my mind. I want you to cover my life. I want you to, I'm walking out into a, uh, into a, a, a day where everything is against me. The enemy would want to destroy me. He wants to steal things from me. But in the name of Jesus, I declare over my life victory. When you begin to speak that, when you begin to pray, when you begin to seek the face of God, you're fighting a spiritual warfare against an enemy that waits in secret. God has a great work for you. Come on, somebody put your hand on your chest and say, God has a great work for me. And you know who knows that is the enemy. The enemy knows it better than you do. He can see the promise of God upon your life. He knows what it means. He understands the domino effect that's going to take place when you get saved or when you get real or when you get committed. He knows that what that means for your family. He knows what that means for your friend group. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to fight tooth and nail against you. But I'm here to tell you the word of God is this, that he has prayed for us and our faith would fail not. And in the name of Jesus, it's going to take more than Sanballat to get me off the wall that God has called me to. I've got a great word in my life. And you know what I'm going to say? I cannot come down, devil. I can't stoop to your level. I can't I cannot be somebody who allows you to throw me off track. I've got something too important to do. My children are at stake here. My life is at stake here. The restoration of my ministry is at stake here, and I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let anybody from hell or anything stop me in the name of Jesus. I declare victory. Let me just stop for a moment and prophesy in the name of Jesus over some people that are in the middle of your restoration process. God's not finished with you yet. So don't let the devil speak against you. All he's going to do is condemn and lie and tell you that you're not good enough. But in the name of Jesus, I declare promise and victory over every person that would get up on the wall and do the work of God and say in the name of Jesus, I will be restored. My family will be saved. Don't let the enemy or any voice from hell stop you it's going to take more than Sanballat to stop me I'm not going to let the enemy I'm not going to let somebody that waits in secret I already know the enemy's tactics and can I just pause for a moment and tell you I realize that there's a lot of stuff in life that is not a coordinated effort by the enemy I know people their car breaks down or they got to get their tires rotated and it was the devil come on just get the tires rotated. You had not changed your oil in six months and your engine goes bad. The devil's trying to get me. No, he's not. Change your oil. Some things are common to man. But there are moments in your life where the, the devil overplays his hand, if you will. And there's such a coordinated effort against your family. Things begin to topple here. Things begin to topple there. And it's like Job, it feels like, who's sitting there. And everything seems to be going wrong. It is in that moment that you can realize that you are in a period where the enemy seems to have the upper hand. And the devil is going to fight you in every way that he can. And there may be a moment where you are tempted to throw in the towel. Even though you have come so close to the finish line, I'm here to tell you, you need to respond like Nehemiah and say, I've been called to a great work. I cannot come down. I cannot stop. I've got to keep moving forward because God has something for my life. The second person is Tobiah, or where we get the name Tobias. 
It almost means the opposite. It means this. God is good. Now maybe you're asking, how could the goodness of God be an enemy to the great work that he has called me to? I will tell you it absolutely can be an enemy. I've already said that the goodness of God is that foundation for our great works because it is the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. It's his grace. It's his mercy. But can I just tell you, people mistake the goodness of God and the grace of God for an excuse to do things poorly. They look at the mercy of God and they live a life without victory claiming grace. We have entire religious experiences that are based on weak Christianity proclaiming grace as an excuse. Paul would deal with this in the New Testament and he would say to them, would anybody use grace to sin? God forbid that we would use grace to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's lasciviousness, he would explain to that New Testament church. And yet we stand here 2,000 years later, and how many have seen it with me where the goodness of God actually becomes an excuse to live a complacent life? Well, God's goodness is going to keep me. Can I just tell you, there are going to be many people, and, and, and there's different theological ideals on what this looks like. But I will tell you this, I do believe that we're going to be judged for our works. Even those of us that are going to be saved are going to be judged for the works. I don't know what that judgment day looks like exactly. There's different depictions of it. But I do know this, in scripture it seems to be clear that you and I are going to be judged for our works. And if we on this side of salvation look and say, well, God's not going to judge us, we're already saved. God's good. Isn't God good? Isn't the grace of God enough? Absolutely, the grace of God is not enough. And I'm not even calling into question somebody's salvation in this moment. But I am calling into question my own and anybody else that would listen to me today, their stewardship. Are you stewarding what God has given you? Or is it that the talent that he is giving you, you're hoping that he will come back and if he finds it in your hand, you will be able to fall on the goodness of God? The mercy of God. How many well-equipped people and talented people have stepped into this life in this world and not made a ripple of difference? Despite having all that they had, despite having financial gain, despite having everything seemingly in their corner, and yet they live comfortable lives. And then you have those that come in with nothing. And they have to work and they have to push. And they end up making tidal waves of difference in their world. Can I just tell you, God's going to judge us. And I know this is a heavy moment in this sermon. But let it be weighty for just a second in here. That the goodness of God is no excuse to do less. The goodness and the mercy of God is no excuse to forget about the principle of stewardship. The Bible says that there will be many that make it to heaven. There will be many that just, they, they make it in. And can I, the, the scripture says, even those that we pull out of hell fire, still having the stench on their clothing, they're going to make it in by the skin of their teeth, if you will. Those people will not look back and celebrate a life that was not well lived for the kingdom. 
They will look back and they will say, I wish I would have been able to give more years. I wish I'd have been able to pour more out. I wish, can I tell you, those of us that, that sit in this place today, the majority of us are very young. We've got an opportunity to get this right. We've got an opportunity to not use the goodness of God to end up living lives that are self-serving. We can look and we can say, God, if your goodness led you to such a place of sacrifice as Calvary, how much the more should I live that same life mirrored? Living my life for, I'm not telling you that God's not going to bless you. There's going to be people in this room that he uses you with finances specifically. But in those places, would you allow God to not, to be able to bless you without those things becoming a distraction to you? Yes, we may have goods. Yes, we may be given great things. But I'm telling you, God can use those things just as powerfully as anything else. They can be a resource in your hand. Don't let the goodness and the mercy of God be the thing that detracts you from giving and investing and loving and pressing forward in the call, that high and holy calling of God upon your life. Could we just pause for a moment? Could you lift your hands with me in this room? God, I pray in the name of Jesus. That the powerful work of God, the great work that you have called us to, would be upon everybody's life. And in the name of Jesus, that your goodness would lead us, God, to begin to produce great works. God, not to back off, not to do less, but let us see the work of Calvary and be challenged within our spirits. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. In the name of Jesus. And my last, my last one. Geshem. The name Geshem, it means rain. Rain. The dew that is on the ground. An enemy of God's great work is often environmental. It's often elemental. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11 and 4, watch this. He that observes the wind shall not sow. If you're looking at the elements, you're not even going to sow a seed. There's never a good time to sow a seed if you're a farmer, if you're waiting for the right weather. The rest of the scripture says, and he that regards the clouds. Looks like a storm's coming. My elbow's a little sore from the old timers. My knee aching. Arthritis. That's just not a good time to sow. The, the clouds say no. The elements say no. The rain says no. If you're trying to do a great work, especially if you're trying to rebuild a wall, rain can be frustrating. Some of you all that work in manual labor, outside jobs, work hard. Some of you pray for rain because it means a day off. But how many has been frustrated because you've been held up by the rain at times. There's some of you that work hard and you think, man, my projects are off. Everything I'm trying to do, the rain, the elements have messed up what I was trying. The great work that I was trying, that can happen in the physical and it can happen in the spiritual. A great, a great enemy of the great work that God wants to fulfill in your life and in my life is elemental. It's the weather. It's the things around us. It's the environment. It'll never be perfect. Can I just give you a few here as we end today? I won't be much longer. But number one is the environment of cultural hostility. We live in a day 
where Paul would say to Timothy this, preach the word, be instant. Anybody remember? In, in and out of season. That word season. Timothy, preach the word. God's called you to a great work. And the season isn't always going to be convenient. You know what he says? Here's what an inconvenient season looks like. Just tell me if this sounds familiar. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Sounds like the culture we live in. A culture of hostility. A culture where the truth is not endured. And you know what would be easy for you and I to say? Man, we had a great work that God wanted to do. We were just in the wrong season. You know, really, Stello Church, if we'd have started 50 years ago, people's hearts were just different. America was in a better place. There's every excuse in the book. Every, anybody that regards the clouds could talk themselves out of the great work that God has for their life. Well, I, if, if I'd have just born, been born in a different time, if things would have just been different for me, if my family line would have just been different, if I wouldn't have had this, this genetic predisposition, if this one, listen to me right now, there's always going to be another rain cloud, another Geshem on the horizon, but you've got to make up in your mind, I'm doing a great work and I cannot stoop down to the voice of the enemy that says the culture is too this or my family line is to that. There is a restorative work that God is going to do with your hands. There's a powerful, great thing that God is going to accomplish within your life. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too this or too that. This is the moment that God is calling you to. So you need to stand up like Nehemiah and say, God, I speak that the great work that you have called me to, it shall be accomplished. And any voice of the enemy that would want to stop me, any rain cloud on the horizon, I refuse to use that as an excuse. Jesus is a great example of an environment messing up his great works. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 13 and 58 he was in his hometown. He'd been doing great works Daniel, he'd been opening blind eyes. I mean, we'd watch people, the dead were raised. You got that scripture, you can throw it up if you've got it. He goes home, and he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. You want to know why? Because of the environment of familiarity. Because according to the people around him, he was always just going to be the carpenter's son. We grew up with him. We grew up with her. We grew up with you. You're going to come back here and tell me you're in. We saw this, and now Jesus, he never made a mistake. But imagine how much the more for you and I, how familiarity can begin to deter us from great works that God has. You're telling me you're going to get religion now? You're telling me you're going to be saved? I, you, I remember when we used to smoke together. You're the one who gave me my first this. And now all of a sudden you're going to turn around and be the person that, that none of us can be? Familiarity. Can I tell you that familiarity, the environment of familiarity, can even deter Stello Church from being the church that God has called us to be? Did you know that? Did you know that as long as... And I'm going to get, I'm going to get real here for a moment. And I want you to hear my, my heart. 
is that Stello Church has now reached a stage where we are hitting 75 to 100 every Sunday. Which, by the way, that's with people who miss a lot, straight up. Just being real with you. I wish some people would get a little more faithful on Sundays. And I'm being real with you. Say, why? So we can have a number? No, because of number one, Sanbalat. So if everybody was faithful, it would even be over that. And we're going to keep driving. We're going to keep preaching. Sorry for the tangent there. Felt good, though. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> people in the house of God. Can I just tell you, I can't be everybody's buddy and friend as a pastor. I love you, but can you imagine as we begin to break the 100 mark, what that would look like in reality for me to be the one as a pastor that, that is the primary disciple maker of every individual, the primary reason or anchor that somebody comes to church. No, God is calling us to the next stage in our church where we begin to draw strength from the community of the church. And there are other people who begin to step into the role of discipleship. And God calls you. He says, hey, guess what? I don't just have a great work for Pastor Devin or for the leadership team. I have a great work for you. I'm going to put the tool in your hand and the same work that you saw him doing last year or the year before, you're going to be the Bible study teacher now. You're going to be the group leader now. You're going to be the team leader now. You're going to be the one that God calls. And now all of a sudden, you're doing the great work. And we break out of just familiarity. That word familial, family. And I'm not talking about community. We need community. We are the family of God. But God has called us to do a great work. And I don't want familiarity to be the thing that deters us from doing the great work that God has called us to. I don't want it to be that you and I step in here like Christ in his hometown. And when we go to do great things, the people around us look and say, well, you weren't that way last year. You didn't have that call upon your life before. I'm just here to speak to you. Today is a new day. This is a new season. And don't let any voice of familiarity keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Yesterday, you might have been someone who is addicted, but today you're somebody who is free. Yesterday, you might have been somebody who was broken, but today in the name of Jesus, you are somebody who has victory and life in the name of Jesus. Would you stand all over this place with me? I feel the presence of God. The last thing simply an environment of convenience. The Bible says that this man named Felix in the book of Acts, Paul stood before him and gave his testimony. And in Acts 24 and 25, as Paul was giving his testimony, the Bible says Felix, who was a ruler, begins to get convicted by the Holy Ghost. And conviction comes up against comfort. And conviction and comfort almost never go hand in hand. And Felix basically says to Paul, stop talking. I don't want to feel conviction. Felix used to be a slave. Felix had fought for everything he had. Felix was a sinner. He was ruthless. He'd stolen another man's wife. And Paul began to preach conviction. And when conviction and comfort met, it was ugly. And Felix said, stop. And the environment of convenience came into play. And this is what he said. Felix reasoned with Paul and told him, Acts 24 and 25 if you have it, and told him, I will call for you 
Watch this. When I have a convenient season. Pastor, I really enjoyed today's message. That was so good. And I'm going to tell you, in the fall of this year, okay, you just let me get through this place that I'm in right now. I'm in a season right now. You've heard it. You've said it. I've said it. Let me just speak to somebody. Today is the day of salvation. This is the moment. Don't stoop down. God has got this. He's got the tool in your hand. He's calling you to a restorative work. He's speaking over families. He's speaking over individuals. Don't say next Sunday. Don't say next year. Don't say next time. Say today. Today, God, I'm going to respond. I'm not going to let convenience talk me out of the great work that God has for me. I speak in the name of Jesus over every individual in this room, God, that Stello Church has been called to a great work and that every individual in this room, God, has been called to a great work. Don't let convenience get in the way, God. Don't let Geshem or the rain or the environmental factors be the thing that deters us from doing what you have called us to do. I pray that, God, we would let conviction flow in this room that we would let conviction flow on each and every one of us God that Lord if we walked in with convenient relationships if we walked in God with convenient mindsets God that we would let those things be destroyed and that we would step up with a vision to rebuild our lives with a vision to rebuild who you've called us to be in our hearts in the name of Jesus the Bible says that Laodicea was lukewarm it was a convenient church. The revelation, the letter that Christ wrote to them, he said, I'll spit you out. You're lukewarm. Laodicea got their water source six miles away from an aqueduct, and when it would show up to that city, it showed up lukewarm. So when Christ spoke that to them, he knew they would understand. Anybody ever been expecting to get a nice cold glass of water and then grab that water? Maybe it was sitting in your car a little too long, you didn't realize it, and you go... That's warm. That's lukewarm. That's not what I want. Can I just tell you, that's what God is saying. He doesn't want a lukewarm church. He doesn't want somebody that says, hey, come back to me later. He wants somebody that today will say, you know what? If God could work with Nehemiah, if he could work with some broken people, and if he could put that wall back together, and if he could rebuild and restore, and everybody would be astounded... Why not me? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get red hot and I'm gonna walk up to an altar on fire and say, God, let my life burn for you. Let me be a sacrifice. Let me do the great work that you have called me to.